You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We want you to demand more from your money. So start by knowing what you own and what you owe. We'll help you take the next step at fidelity.com slash demand more now. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Her Money. We are going on a little field trip from our studio on the west side of Manhattan, 45th and 9th, right around the corner, by the way, from a cookie place that is blasting the smell of freshly baked cookies into the air, really driving me a little crazy as I wandered to the studio today. But we are going to Mika Brzezinski's apartment to talk to her and her co-author, Daniela Pierre Bravo, about their new book called Earn It. So I will take you right to the scene and you can listen in to our conversation. And we are here with Mika Brzezinski and Daniela Pierre Bravo. They have written a new book together called Earn It, Know Your Value and Grow Your Career in Your 20s and Beyond. Thanks so much for coming on the show and allowing us into your space, Mika. Oh, we we love being here. It's great to see you. We love having you. So our audience may remember that the last time you were on the podcast, you told us a little snippet of a story about a millennial who had impressed the hell out of you by getting on a bus to get to New York, and voila, it's Danielle. <laughs> Daniela Pierre Bravo. She's uh, she's the co-author of the book Earn It now, uh, but back then she was just starting out, and she's going to tell her story, uh, but I will tell you that uh, Daniela impressed me so much. Not just that story, but how she started over again and again and was resilient. Because when you're starting out in your career, it's not just starting out. You have to start over again and again before you really get your groove and get your career going. And she, she was unflappable, you know, coming to New York. And, and you mentioned that trip to New York on a bus. Uh, I'll just say the biggest thing about what she did was she lied. <laughs> she lied on her resume to get that interview because she was from Lima, Ohio, uh, but knew that a big, you know, media company in New York City is not going to say, oh, yeah, uh, we'll fly you in when you're starting out at 19, 20 years old. So she said that she had an address in New York City, and when they asked her for the interview, she made it happen. Daniela, Tell me the Cliff Notes version of this story. You were in Ohio. You're originally from South America, so you couldn't just get on a plane because you were undocumented. How exactly did you make this happen, and how did you get the job? Right. Yeah, so it was the summer before I graduated. Um, every other summer before then, when you know students are looking for internships, I couldn't do that because I was working all these sort of side jobs to be able to pay for college. And so it was the summer before I graduated, and I decided, you know, I need to be in New York City where I could get opportunities to be able to get my foot in the door. And at that point, I just wanted any foot in the door, like anywhere I could. And so I applied everywhere. And like Mika said, I uh, mentioned on my resume that I lived in New York City at a NYU dorm. I think it was a Columbia dorm. And um, 
you know, I just didn't want the hiring manager to make any excuses not to call me back because I wouldn't, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't make excuses for myself. So I'm in the library studying for an econ exam and I get a call back from P. Diddy's Bad Boy Entertainment Company. Um, they do a little screening interview, go through my qualifications and they said, you know, we'd like you, we'd like to um, interview you tomorrow, right? You're local. And I like heart pounding. Yes, yes, I'll be there. And, um, you know, I, obviously I couldn't get on a plane, couldn't drive there. So I just got on the Greyhound bus. I, I'd never really been on a, a long bus ride before, but I thought, okay, this is the only way. This is my only chance. Um, so got on a, a bus for 18 hours, um, you know, nine stops through the night, got to smelly Port Authority, cleaned up and got to the internship uh, interview and did a good job, I she guess. nailed and, it. And <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you nailed it. And after that, it was sort of trying to figure out, okay, I'm in New York City. How am I going to be able to survive, right? Like, how am I going to eat every day? And so, um, you know, I did everything under the sun. So I was a babysitter. I was a pet sitter. I walked dogs during my lunch breaks. I worked at bars. Um, I worked in clubs for promotion. And so really making it um, any way that I could just so that I could get that experience that summer. How did you get from there to being a producer on Morning Joe? Well, thankfully that summer, because um, I know I needed the experience. I know um, I knew that I wanted to work in media. And at the time, it was a pretty lofty goal, right? I was undocumented and I could barely, you know, get a job. So I thought, okay, what what are the things that are going to be able to um, you know, add on to my resume so that I could get a chance to be seen by a company like NBC Universal or the NBC Page Program? Um, and so it was those two summer internships at Bad Boy Entertainment and at MTV Networks. Um, both unpaid, um, that allowed me to have sort of a well-rounded resume on top of everything else I had been doing in college. And so after that summer, I decided to apply to the NBC Page program where I eventually was accepted. I got back on the bus this time for an internship with uh, or a, a job uh, opportunity with NBC Universal. I had received DACA and, you know, made my way around the Page program. I did Stints with Saturday Night Live, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, and then eventually um, worked with Mika on Morning Joe. You, Mika, have made it your platform to help women effectively communicate their value. One of the things that struck me about this book is just the first two words of the title, Earn It, because mm -hmm. it's the antithesis of what so many people think of millennials, that mm -hmm. they don't want to earn it. I mean, clearly, Daniela is an exception to that. But why those two words? And how do you think people in their 20s and 30s need to navigate right now? Well, in order to know your value, you do have to earn it first. And so I thought that was a great message and sort of call to action for young people who want to buy and read this book, whether it's a millennial or someone 18, 19, 20 years old, trying to think about starting out their careers, that first, second, third, and fourth job, you're earning it every step of the way. By the way, I'm 52. I'm still earning it. So it never goes away. And that's the kind of like dirty secret of this business and all others. Mm -hmm. It looks like you've made it and you can relax. You never can. So get over that thought. But for young people, I do think there is a stereotype that they want to arrive somewhere without doing the work. I don't think most young people fit that stereotype, but I don't think they also can grasp all the mixed messages they're getting. Now, Daniela 
is the perfect person to tell this story through her story. Because not only did she go through everything that she went through just to get to square one, and by the way, square one had no pay, Mm -hmm. okay? And she had to get three or four jobs to make that one job work. And that's a great example of someone who is going to make it happen no matter what. But then the second job and the third job and the fourth job, by the time she got to me at Morning Joe and became a booking producer and the co-author of Earn It, they were hard too. Horrific hours, horrific hours, travel, running around. And you know what? Her big focus for like six months or a year was making sure she got my coffee right. Extra hot, extra foam, venti, red eye, misto. And that was like the biggest thing of her day. Okay, I'm a Every misto too. Single day you are. I'm a I misto. Love misto. I know. Yeah, whole it, milk. Um, so the thing is that you know you would think after you worked at Bad Boy Entertainment or P Diddy or whatever that is, uh, you know you get that next job that's going to be better. No, the Morning Joe job was not that good. <laughs> it was hard work, but she did it with perfection. She did it with uh, unruthless effectiveness and speed, and she got noticed. So what she did was she worked as hard as she could and did everything that was given to her as well as she could to get noticed, to get that chance to do something she wanted to do. And that chance happened with me. Daniela, you and I were both at your alma mater, Miami of Ohio, a few weeks ago. You were addressing an audience of a lot of young girls who I saw nodding along as you were speaking because they clearly want to be you. What are you telling them? Well, I think, you know, as Mika said, part of, you know, getting to the next step is being able to earn it and really putting in the work. But the other part of it is to also be advocating for yourself every day before you get to the negotiating table. And I think that young women can do that in a way that's not outright or raising their hands all the time if they're just getting in the door, but just advocating for themselves in the small things that they they do. That what is the value that they bring forward every day? So it can be something like getting coffee and making it the perfect coffee that you can, but it's being able to not only do things that are going to get you further and noticed, but also you know waiting for your moment and that timing to get to the next step. But you have to be able to put the work behind it. I hope that you are enjoying our conversation with Mika and Daniela. I just want to take a moment to remind everyone that Her Money is proudly sponsored by Fidelity Investments. What if you could demand more from your money just as Mika is asking you to demand more from your career? What if you could make your savings work as hard as you do? And what if all of that helped you reach your financial goals faster? It starts with a financial checkup and an understanding of what you own and what you owe. From there, we'll work with you to evaluate your investment options and different ways to grow your savings. And you can get started today at fidelity.com slash demand more now. We're happy to be back with Mika and Daniela, co-authors of the new book, Earn It. Ambition can be a double-edged sword for women. We are encouraged to go for what we want, and yet when we're ambitious, we're certainly not rewarded for it by the general public. How do you walk that line, Mika? Uh, (laughs) I have no problem with ambition, Um, and I reward it everywhere I see it. And I, I think women have to get over the word aggressive and ambitious as being bad words. Um, We actually had uh, Lauren Leader on the show recently, and she was very upset that um, some Democratic operative was being called aggressive. And I just said, why? Why? 
Because if we think that's wrong, then we'll behave as if we're doing something wrong. And that is the worst thing. That will stamp out your ambition. That will stamp out your joy. That will stamp out your rhythm as to you know what you're trying to do to move forward. And you can't look at things so negatively. You gotta be ambitious. I mean, you, in doing anything, you have to be aggressive about it. So I think we need to work on changing our own view of those words. And when you change them for yourself, people around you will follow. You know, it's like my respect first, friendship will follow. You, people have, you got to command respect when you walk in a room. And you can do that at the age of 25 or 45. And you don't have to be arrogant about it. You just have to be someone worth respecting and ambitious and aggressive and on point and fierce and, you know, a sense of self as well. You don't need to be pushing it out there all the time. There's a lot of things to be at once. And, and getting back to why Daniela and I took on this project, that's a lot of messages to send to a young person mm -hmm. because they get a lot of conflicting messages. You need to be scrappy. You need to, to work long hours. You have to do all this stuff. But you also have to be all these other things. And so we walk young women through this process of learning how to earn it the right way. And you mentioned timing. So Daniela's timing was everything. She worked with me for a couple of years before we were sitting together on a plane and she told me her story. And that story was so moving to me that I was inspired to call my publisher the next day and pitch the book, which got a yes and got her a book deal and money, which is important. And her timing was that she was there. She put herself out there and in the moment she took it. And I got to tell you, it's as important as when I was fired from CBS and I was out of work for a year and I thought to myself, I've just got to be in there. I've got to be in there somehow, some way. It's not going to happen the way I want, obviously. So I took a, you know, a day rate freelance doing cut-ins job. And guess what? Uh, Don Imus was knocked off the air. And all of a sudden, they did a three-hour hole in the morning. And all of a sudden, Joe was auditioning with Willie and all these people. And they grabbed me, you know, from down the hall and sat me in a seat. And all of a sudden, morning Joe happened. If I hadn't have been there and put myself out there, that timing wouldn't have had a chance to happen. So for young people, it's about constantly putting yourself out there, being in the game some way. It doesn't matter how. You can be running coffee. It might just happen for you. But it won't if you don't. We get a ton of questions on the show. We talked about it the last time, but I want to revisit it again about salary mm -hmm. and about earning as much as you're worth. Earning, I, I mean, getting paid is good, but getting paid more is just better. Mm -hmm. So what's your most up-to-date advice? And I'd love to hear from you too, Daniela, about asking for more. Well, you got to be comfortable doing it. It has to be part of your uh, language and your vocabulary. And for someone Daniela's age, it's about just asking and figuring out how to ask for that next step or that next opportunity that will get you that raise to go with it. And you know what? You're going to do it wrong a lot. It's still awkward for me. Me too, and by I the had way. Some, yeah, I had some run-ins for the publisher of this very book over the money for this book. And some of the arguments, I didn't win. And I'm not happy about that, by the way. But I did it. And you know what? Every time there is an opportunity for me to make more money, I take it. And sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes it doesn't work. But I keep asking, and I will keep asking. And everyone who I ask knows I will ask again and knows I will get it. And there is not a, ooh, ooh, that's untoward that I get. It's actually like, well, Mika's kind of right. 
And so that's the sort of transformation in your own ability to communicate that needs to happen for a young person, is that you have to learn how to talk about money and how to develop the belief that you're worth it, not just for yourself, but for the people you're talking to. And it's a lot of different things. We can't get through it in this podcast, but I will tell you that I ask for more money every chance I get. And if I don't, that is a big mistake on my part because that's what we are supposed to be doing in business. Daniela, have you gotten comfortable with that? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm still learning. I think, especially when we um, wrote this book and talked to young women for it. She felt guilty that yeah. I paid her to write the book. Can you imagine? <laughs> Wait, don't feel guilty. Yeah. No. It's, it, but that's the, that's <laughs> but the, I get it. I mean, I get, I, I absolutely get the feelings. And by the way, I have totally been there with the feeling guilty that somebody is paying you for something that you're like, oh my God, I get a chance to write this book, yeah. but it's your hard work. It's your work product. It's your story. You are totally deserving of it. Yeah. It's so strange. Cause we actually just wrote a piece on this. It's mm-hmm. coming out soon. And there's a strange sense of being uncomfortable right? That I'm not supposed to be getting this much money or, you know, for the book, it was 50, 50 K. Um, and say it louder. Not enough. I just whispered By the way, not enough. (laughs) And it's just, you know, part of it is the mental clutter that young women have. And a big part of it is that we take business personal. Um, and we, when we talk about our value and, and salary, we somehow translate that into, oh, well, this is a personal reflection of who I am as a person, as opposed to saying, no, this is a personal reflection of my work and this is what I need to be paid because that makes sense. It's not enough. You worked for two years on this book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's the thing, Jean, uh, Daniela actually had that happening in her head. And that's what a lot of young women do is they go, oh my gosh, I got an opportunity. I feel kind of guilty about this. And oh my gosh, I got this extra thing. No, you got given two years of work to do, research. You went up to Harvard. You interviewed uh, Harvard scholars on you know different attitudes towards women and money. You worked your butt off. If anything, we still owe you money. And that's the way you ought to be thinking. Because I'm thinking that about the publisher, is they owe us more money. Well, And, and I'll I, tell them that. I hope it sells like hotcakes and you make a ton of money Absolutely. as a result. The book is called Earn It. Daniela Pierre Bravo, Mika Brzezinski. Thank you so much for doing our podcast again. Thank you. Thank you. And we are back in our home studio. Kelly is sitting with me in the studio What did you think about the risks that Daniela took early in her career? So admirable. And sometimes that's necessary. And I can relate on a much smaller scale than her story. But I moved to New York without a job right after graduation. I remember. And for those of you listening to this show or have been listening to this show for a while, by now you could probably tell that I'm a type A person. (laughs) And so for my type A self, that was a really big risk for me. And I even gave myself a window of time to figure it out, just because that helped me uh, with the risk that I was taking on. So I did the quintessential move without a job, sublet in an apartment in Brooklyn with two people I didn't know. Mm Mm-hmm. And worked at a restaurant and eventually found my way to you within those three months. So it was really exciting that I I kept within that. But 
sometimes you need to put yourself in the right environment. And that's exactly what she did. I think putting yourself in the right environment is a really powerful concept and sometimes necessary for opening up the doors that you have been dreaming about your entire life. I totally agree. I did not come to New York without a job. I had a job in Connecticut. I think I've told this story before about the job that I took for the money right after yes. graduation, yes. realizing on day two what a horrible mistake it was <laughs> and, and and that it took me a couple of months to extricate myself, uh-huh. at which point, you know, I sold my car. Actually, I gave my car to my parents. They gave being a vast exaggeration because they paid off the rest of that car loan, mm-hmm. but moved to New York, found a roommate um, through the classified ads in the wow. New York Times. So, yep, wow. I, moved into, I moved into Brooklyn with somebody that I didn't know either mm-hmm. and took a job that didn't pay me enough to make rent. So mm-hmm. I had a second job for a good couple of years until I figured out how to find an actual job that would pay me enough. Yep. And one of the things that Daniela did that I think is fine is actually lying on your resume mm-hmm. Me too. about where you are. I remember when I was an ASME intern, which is a, an intern in the American Society of Magazine Editors program the summer of my junior year in college. And they bring interns to New York. It was a, a wonderful way of getting some experience at a magazine. We lived in the NYU dorms. And every week we would have a seminar from somebody in the magazine industry. And I remember so clearly sitting with three talent people from Hearst, Condé Nast, and I'm pretty sure Time, Inc., and the woman from Condé Nast saying, well, you absolutely have to take a typing test. But you also, I'm not looking at you until you live in New York. I don't even want to talk to you until you have an apartment in New York. And that, to me, was license to lie. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, as long as I could get to New York from the interview, if you borrow somebody's address, Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. Get get a little scrappy. Get a little crafty. Tell people you are where they need you to be so that they'll at least see you. See you. And that's that's the big thing, right? Like, there's no way we could tell our story and our worth and the value we will be bringing to a job on paper. Right. So whatever it takes to get you in front of that person or that employer that you really want to be working for and with, yes, fudge the address. Exactly. Don't make me throw you out of the pile Mm -hmm. because you are living in New Mexico. Right. You know, tell me you're staying with your aunt in New Jersey and put her address Mm -hmm. or a friend from college Mm -hmm. or that you're crashing in New York at somebody's apartment until you get a job and you have license to crash there as long as it takes. Yep. And I will say something I also really respect about her story and what Mika noticed about her right away is how seriously she took every role Mm -hmm. that she's had. And the fact that she has treated even tasks of getting Mika's coffee with the, you know, utmost attention to make sure that, like, Again, everything was right or correct. Yeah, but from the position of somebody who hires young people coming Mm -hmm. out of college, if you can't handle my calendar, Mm -hmm. if you can't handle the smaller, easier Mm -hmm. assignments, whether they're administrative or whether they involve reporting, Mm -hmm. 
then I have absolutely no confidence that you're going to be able to handle the bigger ones. Right. Right? You have to. And I know it's it falls under the heading of dues paying that a lot of people don't want to do. Sure. But it's it's uh, I was having this conversation the other day um, with a, a, a woman who works in advertising mm-hmm. and she had noted that she's had several people come through her um, firm lately that have stayed six months and then moved to the next job because they don't love the dues paying part of it. Look, I get not loving the dues-paying part of it, but I do think if you have a series of very short-term stints on your resume, eventually that's not going to look too good. Agreed. I wonder, do you always have to pay dues at a new job? Or do you get to a point, I think there should be this expectation, you're coming out of college and you're starting, like, you you pay your dues. It's your first job. You, you're paying your dues. But I'm wondering if there's a pay-your-dues aspect to... Every job. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we need a new word for it. Maybe it's not called paying your dues. Mm. Maybe it's called getting your feet wet. Mm. You know, maybe it's called figuring out how to do the meat and potatoes tasks of any job Mm -hmm. well before you get to the dessert. Yep. And I think also another perspective, if if your goal is eventually to manage a team or be a leader at your company— you will be that much more powerful of a manager and a leader or that much more effective of one if you've done and experienced everything the people under you technically on the org chart are doing. Yep. And it makes you that much more relatable, respectable, because you can say to that person that you're managing, I've done this. Yeah. You know, and it's coming from a place of like, I have experience doing what you're doing, so I have a good sense of what can be done and what can't be done. Although... That reminds me of our interview with Manisha Thakur mm-hmm. and her description of why it is that so many women have trouble moving up. Because when we are asking ourselves to do things that we haven't done, mm. when we're asking ourselves to manage people who are doing things that we haven't done, mm. that's where we lose our confidence. Mm. So in some ways, I think we need to be okay with not having not having stepped on every rung of the ladder, sure. but just having a good enough overview to allow us to see the way to manage from above. All right. What do we have in our mailbag yes, today? Yes, a few really good ones. First one is from Julie. My question is about buying a different home in the same general area. We live just outside of town, and I would like to move into town, but I know moving is a cost, and I'm not sure how to decide if the move is worth it. For several reasons, I love to walk, bike, and bus versus drive, socializing, etc. Living in town is a lot more appealing and is something I really want to do, but houses cost a bit more in town. Plus, the market is up right now where we live, so our house would sell for much more than we paid, but we would also be buying a house for more. We have lived in our house for a little over seven years, and currently owe 80000 on our mortgage, which we are aggressively paying off and could be 100% debt-free in less than three years, while still saving over 15% of our income in retirement plans. If we move into town, the houses comparable to our own are about twenty to 50000 more than we could sell ours for, and there's not really lower-cost housing options. We're mid-40s and don't plan to leave the area anytime soon. How do we decide where the cost breaking point is versus lifestyle enhancement? Ooh, that's a good question. It's a great question. Yeah, and one more she has. How much should we consider differences in mortgage rates available now versus what we currently have, which is 3.75%. So mortgage rates are not too different 
from where you were. It might be a smidge more expensive, but but quite possibly not, um, depending on your credit score. Here's what I think. I think you're young, and I think you should live the way that you want to live. And an urban lifestyle, the one that you described, actually might save you money month to month. When you talk about walking and biking instead of driving, there's a big cost saving there. I mean, maybe you've got two cars at your urban oasis. Maybe you could do with one. Maybe you wouldn't end up having to join a gym because you're walking and you're biking so much. So so look at those things as well. I don't want you to compromise on the 15% that you're saving. I'd like to see that number stick because that's an important benchmark that you want to be hitting for your long-term retirement. But the amount of money that you are aggressively putting into prepaying your mortgage, you don't have to do that. You can, if you know that you're going to be in this house for a long time, and it sounds like this is a house that you're going to be in for a long time, you can take a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. You can pay it off on the schedule that they give you. And it sounds like you would be able to do that fairly comfortably. I think you should move. I, I really think. <laughs> no, I do. I, I think, love it. <laughs> I, think if, I think if this is the way that you want to live and you want to live that way consistently, Shop for a house. And don't, by the way, don't worry about the fact that prices are up. Prices are up in urban areas because more people are moving to cities. I don't see that as a trend that is going to end anytime Mm -hmm. soon. And it's my bet that this urban oasis of yours could actually make you some money. Mm -hmm. And I don't see anything about kids unless I missed it. I don't either. Yeah. So... It sounds like it's what you want and you can afford it. So I'm with Jean for what it's worth. I think you should move. Yeah. Yep. Okay. We'll do one from Cassandra. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly and I. All right. (laughs) Stop laughing. Cassandra, we are having trouble with this because we're not sure if you pronounce it Cassandra and we don't want to insult you. So if your name is Cassandra or if it's Cassandra, we are we are really trying to answer your question. <laughs> Which is? Well, first she writes, love the podcast. So thank, thank you, you, Cassie. Yeah. <laughs> I, have <a> question. <laughs> I have a question regarding my 401k. I'm 30 years old and currently have a Roth 401k through work with about $55,000 contributing 10% with a 6% match, which is awesome. I received a salary increase this year due to promotion to 100000 and I'm wondering if I should start contributing to the regular 401k due to my income increase and possible tax bracket increase. Should I split my contributions between both? That's her question. If so, is a 50-50 split best? So you're going to actually need to run some numbers on this to see how much tax savings you would get by splitting the uh, contribution. Basically, when you put money into a traditional 401k, it lowers your adjusted gross income. So the base on which you are then taxed is lower. Now, it makes sense, as we've talked about many times in the past, to put money into a Roth when in the future you think that your tax rate will be significantly higher than it is today. That may still be true. You're relatively young. You got this big raise, but there's no saying that there's not another one and another one and another one coming after that. And so I would say 
run the numbers. You may want to think about splitting the difference. But the other way to think about this is that if you have the money to pay the taxes today, if paying the taxes today is an easy thing for you to do, then the amount of money that you will have at the end of the road will be significantly higher because you won't have to pay them. So if you had a pool of money in your retirement account that grew to be $100,000 and it was in a traditional retirement account and your tax bracket when you retired was 20%, that money is then only worth $80,000. If it was in a Roth, you've actually got $100,000. So if you can afford to pay the taxes today, then I I might pay the taxes Mm -hmm. today and know that you will always be needing the money at the end of the line. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. And it's a really good question that I forget about often if you do have both at your employer that that is a strategy that you could employ. Yeah. And, you know, we talk sometimes about having a couple of different buckets to pull right. money from in retirement, a taxable bucket mm-hmm. and a tax um, and a tax deferred bucket mm-hmm. or tax free bucket. That can make sense as well. There are calculators on the Web that if you Google the words Roth 401k versus traditional 401k calculator will help you run those numbers. Okay, great. Good luck. Thank you for writing in. And we'll do one more from Catherine. I recently left an employer that offered a 401k plan. The plan has around 2500 in it. What should I do with it? Should I leave it alone or can I continue to put my own money in without the benefit of the match? I also remember leaving a couple other employers in the past with additional 401k plans but haven't looked at those accounts in years so ashamed. Don't be. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Also, I'm happy to report that my new role offered me a higher salary. However, no 401k plan. They do, however, offer an employee stock option plan after six months of employment. This is my first time being offered an ESOP. Do you have any recommendations? By the way, the stock has been rising over the years, which is great. That is great. So first of all, to those orphan 401ks, often, (laughs) (laughs) often you need to have $5,000 or more in a prior employer's 401k for them to allow you to leave it there. I don't know if that's true at this company, but it sounds like you're getting to the point where you got a lot of money in a lot of places and you're not sure what it's doing, which says to me, open a rollover IRA, put all the money from all the different 401ks in there and manage it with some sort of consistent strategy, which could just mean putting it all into a target date fund or into a couple of index funds or whatever your choice of investment vehicles happen to be. The employee stock option plan, that's fantastic. It's not a substitute for putting money into a retirement plan. So when you decide where you're doing the IRA rollover, I also want you to open an IRA or a Roth IRA, and I want to make sure that you are contributing to that account every single month automatically. You can put up to $6,000 this year into an IRA, an additional $1,000 if you're 50 or over, so that would get you to $7,000. Just figure out how much you can put in and, and automate your contributions, and you can invest it consistently with the money that you rolled over. As far as the employee stock option plan goes, 
um, talk to your benefits department. It is absolutely something that you want to take advantage of. And um, and congratulations yes. on, on the new job and the new move. That's fantastic. And thank you, everyone, for writing in. You can email us your questions at mailbag at hermoney.com. Thanks, Kelly. And before we go to today's Thrive, just a reminder, we have two newsletters that we publish every week at Her Money. One is our look at the news of the week. The other is our look at what we're publishing on hermoney.com. Lots of great stories, good information, the same sort of information that we provide often in these interviews, but also in our Thrive segments. So if you are looking to figure out what's happening in the world that is affecting your money or the things that we've got our eye on, I'd love you to go to hermoney.com slash sign up. And in today's Thrive segment, you know how when you are trying to lose weight, it's not in your best interest to check your weight every day because it fluctuates? Wait, Kelly, can we discuss this for a second? Because <laughs> because yes. this is my philosophy. I never get on the scale. Yeah. As you know, Elliot gets on the scale every day. No, no. I mean, maybe for maintenance. Maybe that's a different way to approach this here if you're looking for maintenance maybe. But speaking for myself, I would drive myself crazy because there are times of the month where my weight can even fluctuate by like five pounds. And it happens with like bloating or... Chinese food. Exactly. So I've learned the hard way. Don't step on the scale every single day. I'd go by my pants. Me too. All right. I'm just... I'm just... Yeah. Just... And and by the way, if you think we're wrong on this, feel free to tweet us and let us know. But I think we're right. Yeah. And the same (laughs) is true when you are looking to build long-term sustainable wealth. Because looking at your retirement accounts every day will make you nuts. Thanks to the ongoing trade war with China, the markets have been on a roller coaster ride in recent weeks, and your accounts could be experiencing whiplash. So the advice is let's not check our balances every day. You will just keep yourself up at night. Try not to react to the market's ups and downs. Just stay the course. Katie Taylor, who is a VP of Thought Leadership at Fidelity, reminds us that a short-term market blip should not affect our long-term strategy. And we agree. If you're investing for the long-term, the last thing you want to do is react to the market's daily fluctuations. New data, also from Fidelity, puts this into perspective. Every quarter they do a report on their overall retirement business, which is significant because of their size, which is significant because of their size as a major provider in the retirement market. And it shows that after taking a slight dip in the fourth quarter of 2018, Average 401k, IRA, and 403b balances rebounded in the first quarter of this year. The average 401k balance is now $103,700. That's an 8% increase from Q4 of last year. Moreover, and these are the numbers that Kelly and I really love, to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the stock market reaching all-time lows during the recession, Fidelity looked at the accounts of 1.64 million individuals who've had the same 401k account since the first quarter of 2009 and compared their balances today with their balances 10 years ago. Fast forward, those account balances are up 466%. 
on average. We hope that this helps you to stay calm and carry on. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Mika Brzezinski and Daniela Pierre-Bravo for the great conversation. If you like what you hear, I hope that you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. I hope you'll also subscribe to our newsletters at hermoney.com slash sign up. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week when we'll be back with Aaron Lowry, author of Broke Millennial Takes on Investing. We'll talk soon. 